Du lytter til en podcast fra Cornerstone. Her får du utdrag fra vår arrangementsserie på Cornerteatret i Bergen. Nå skal du føre et foredrag av Tale Ness, som hun holdt på Cornerteatret i forbindelse med en workshop om kollektiv skriving. Her snakker Tale om doktorgradsprosjektet sitt ved Kunsthøyskolen i Oslo, som handler om nettopp kollektiv skriving. Så da gir jeg bare ordet til deg, Tale. Takk skal du ha. Nå er det jo nesten litt dumt at jeg har skrevet dette her på engelsk, siden ingen snakker engelsk her, men det kan jo være bra for den podcasten. Veldig bra. Det kan jo hende at noen vil høre på den. Ja. Så so jeg bare sier, for the podcast, at since the audience is just Norwegian speaking speakers, I could have done this in Norwegian, but for the podcast it's great that it's in, in English. So I'm a PhD fellow. Um, at the Oslo National Academy of the Arts is the name of it in in English uh, at the theatre department uh, and I'm one of two playwright fellows there the other one is Finn Junker hopefully he will be a professor before me uh, I'm, I'm not that competitive so I don't really want to be the first he's, he's, it'd be really great if, uh, if he was finished soon and I will be finished next year uh, with my PhD uh, my topic is, uh, has the title 1 to 100. Um, it is, in a way, an, a formal, a formal um, work I'm doing. I'm trying to find forms of compos- or compositions that take me, and methods that take me from 1 to 100, uh, especially um, to, uh, to research or to try and figure out how to represent the relationship between the one and the many, or the individual and society, the tensions and the ties in a text for the stage, a performative text. It could be an installation work, it could be a performative monologue, or it could be in a more traditional play. One could say that this isn't something that I've invented, or this is very original. I mean, I guess that the matter of, of theatre as such is the relationship between individual and society. So in a way, I'm revisiting it, it and looking at it today and from a kind of also personal uh, standpoint, um, I often feel that there's like an ethical tension, like I have the global economy on the inside of me. Uh, like when I eat or use my credit card, uh, I feel like I'm a part of a system that I cannot really derail from. Or, or um, uh, I'm sort of producing the system myself, I would say. So that's why and I, I couldn't really recognize that in my own text production. So that's why I had the need to revisit this relationship. The formal representation of the relationship between individual society in performative texts. And doing that, I've, I've also tried to then go uh, um, take a radical turn, maybe a radical failure, away from, uh, away from uh, the, the idea, the notion that the artist found inside the artist and try to find maybe that the artist found in the clashes between the art, artist and what's outside of the artist. So I'm trying to gear myself towards clashes, meetings, and collaborations with the world outside me. And that's why I've turned to collective writing, which I will talk about today. For those who want to know more about my other sort of projects, they can visit uh, Kia's homepages, then Google my name, and they will come to my, uh, my research site, where I also have published texts and photographs and, uh, and uh, other material around my research. So um, I will start with sort of saying something about why I do this, uh, in what way I see this, and then talk a little bit about the workshop, and then end up with presenting a small text that I've written myself after a workshop. So it is sort of three, sort of a three-layer presentation, and um, I will also try to um, attach this or link this in some way to the theme of this whole series of lectures and talks, which is called radical failures. And hopefully, in the conversation with Masaker, you will we will pick up on that again. And you might see some examples of these radical failures also in the reading, I hope so. <laughs> we'll see. So the starting point for me is that language constitutes the text. So text is a language topoi. Um, uh, and that the text in itself is a laboratory. So it's text-based and a laboratory. In it, we can do what we want. We can change the rules and change the perspective. As long as the universe holds, as long as the game is sound, as long as the reader or the audience wants to play. So this is like the basics of my my ideas, and that's why this, this type of work is possible. I also think that a text is never static. 
I see the text as an ongoing exchange, a feedback loop between the writer and what's written. So the first feedback loop is between me and what I write, between the text and the reader, and between the text and the world. So there's a series of feedback loops continually going on. And this is true not only after the text is written, but also as I write it. Uh, it also happens when I read it, because I'm also my own first reader. And it's uh, a thing that happens when it's created even before the text is finished. So there is, as I write the text, an ongoing dialogue, a play with other text, and with the potential text, this potential particular text that this text could turn out to be. So in a way, the text also speaks back to me, saying, I want to be this. And I have to listen to that voice. So in a way, a text is both being written and write in writing itself. So it's a continuous dialogue, dialogue with what's outside it and what goes on inside it. This sort of intertextual way of thinking is, again, not my invention. It's a part of the postmodern schisma. Um, it sort of starts with Bakhtin in the late 1800s, and then uh, Kristova is one of the ones who have really been worked on this. And in her essay, Word, Dialogue and Novel, from 1966, a very famous essay, she writes beautifully about it. She says, There's, there are always other words in a word, other texts in a text. The concept of intertextuality requires, therefore, that we understand texts not as self-contained systems, but as differential and historical, as traces and tracings of otherness, since they are shaped by the repetition and transformation of other textual structures. So inside our text, there's also all the other texts that we have encountered and now exist in the world. So in a way, we're part of a big family. Writing together, then, adds to this uh, feedback loop. It's not just between me and my text, it's also between me and the other people's texts that are being produced. Uh, it's not just a tool when I, when I engage in these, uh, in these uh, writing exercises or collective writing exercises. It can work as a, a developer text to expand the performative text or use it for a, as a tool to develop a particular performance as a developing tool per se. But for me, it is first and foremost a meeting place. It works as a communal and individual praxis in one. It can even be, I have found, a social mover, a way of finding a shared space, a place from which to explore the intersection between the participants and the reality they live in. And if circumstances are right, a new reality can be created which is quite miraculous but beautiful when one writes together and this reality is then a shared reality not mine and not Gabrielle's but something that we share and that only exists because we have made it together and this reality then is not uh, based on a homogeneous or like level um, worldview. it's a place where languages and experience can collide and coexist, even enter into conversations with each other. So it's a wholly vocal world that obliterates hierarchies because text is king. <laughs> Writing together offers a space where one can leave one's own agenda and dive into fictional worlds of the other. And since the participants are equal as unique owners of the text, not equal as human beings, I don't think that's ever possible, but there are unique owners of their texts. This produces the potential for co-production. I mean, real co-production. By doing collective writing, reading and listening to each other's material, one can come to see and understand not only the other's worldview, and this is like the bonus, but one's own. <laughs> one's own praxis, inclinations, and aesthetic preferences. In this praxis of collective writing, I often been taken aback by how, I, how what I saw as obvious started to pop up out from the background, and what I thought was given became visible as a choice. As such, through writing with others, by clashing into their text, thoughts, experiences, and ideas, I do not only get to meet the universes they inhabit and produce, but my own. Here I can demask my ethics and aesthetics, 
Here I can experience a more full version of my vocabulary and, pers vocabulary and personas. The exploration of, of this feeding back and forth is the real goal of the writing and of my research. So both to get to know myself and to get to know the others. And there are wonderful moments where my contributions are so interwoven with the others that the text no longer belongs to any of us. So, to make this possible, to make this co-production possible, I never start with a theme, I never start with a character, a story, or a material. We find this theme, material, story, or vocabulary together through what we call logins, and I might talk about that later, by performative improvisation techniques involving verbal, written, physical, or acted out exploration. So together we create places, characters, dialogues, monologues, etc. Then we swap and mix on the floor and on the paper. We talk about this material, we taste it, <laughs> we write on it, together and individually, and we do it there and then and also between the sessions. So we do it together and also completely on our own. It's very important that everybody owns their own material, even when the material is sort of guesting. Today, when we did the rehearsals for the reading, we said, no, that gesture is, uh, somebody said, that gesture is Mari. And then I said, no, that's uns. <laughs> and it's not that it's important that it's uns, but it's just, it's your, it's your gesture, it's your monologue or your material. So every gesture belongs to somebody, and still everybody is everything is possible to share. There is no other unifying process in the workshop than the sharing. There's no overlying structure, there's no overlying theme, there's no plot to be developed. Everything comes from this sharing. And through this reciprocal process of sharing, we provoke, inspire and pollute each other. And often a new language or way of working appears in the room. This new language or new way of working has its own themes and energies a language and a way of working only belonging to this particular group. So there's a set of methods, but there's also methods that develop as we go. So I have worked differently with this group than I have at any other. And they have worked differently with me, probably, than they would with someone else. No material is exclusive to anyone, and my material is my material. As such, a contract is made where we all know whose material is whose, as well as we are free to elaborate, invade, write on, in dialogue with, and together. So, through this process, we start building a, what I call a conglomerate. I think, it's, uh, I think actually it comes from when we did geology at school when we were young. Uh, it's like this uh, type of rock that consists of many other types of rock. Building block on building block. And then these blocks of text and material start to coexist and interact. As the workshop progresses, ready-mades can also be added to the mix. It could be like stories from people, or it could be a political figure. We can introduce Trump into the room and see what happens with that. A superhero, a fictional character, Nora from the Doll's House could probably come visiting us. Real places and events and fun facts. And the longer the workshop goes, the more of this we have space for. Now we haven't got that much time for it, but it could be great fun to do. Uh, so we're talking about what we can add. It's like entities that we can all relate to and know, that we share in a way, but that we also have an individual relationship to. And when we start to have a body of texts, we start combining them, adding gestures, events, situations, actions and spaces that have come to the surface during the process. What we're looking for is potential dramaturgies. Not a potential dramaturgy, but potential dramaturgies. And potential theatricality. Forms and formats asking, when we put something together, what is at stake in this combination? What does it produce? What does this particular combination of texts or sequences and figures or images, what does that do for us? How does it act? So in a way, we're also interpreting very practically our own work. Every collaboration has its own genesis, evolves its own methods, needs to be met with a particular set of questions and gives its own answers. And these questions sort of develops as we go along. 
In my collective part of my research I say, writing is not a private matter. In it, texts talk together. So this is the difference from when I'm writing on my own. And also in my collective part of my research, I try to remember <coughs> that the smallest moments can entail the biggest drama. I will return to that later with a small example. So this is like the first part of this, pres- this little lecture, when I talk about <coughs> the reasons why I do collective writing, how I do it, and, and in what way it works. Then I'm going to try and make a, little, a bigger circle around it and put this in a context of playwriting at the moment, uh, which is a very exciting thing to do because there's so, such great things happening in the playwriting world right now. Um, I'm going to use a book by Paul Sercostano because I've been part of a big project that has been working with his playwriting strategies and I find them interesting and relevant. Um, his book is called New Playwriting Strategies, Languages and Media in the 21st Century and you can find it online if you're curious. It was published by Wicklitch in 2012. He states that the rigid paradigm of the playwright as a sole creative source has become less of a mantra. In today's reality, he says, writing alone has just become one of many ways to write a play. Writers pair up. There are writing collectives. Theatres involve teams in the development of new plays. Theatre groups write together using devising techniques or other tools, etc. And this, I mean, in Norway, this started very much in the documentary field. Documentary theatre had done this for years. And group theatre has done it, but now also playwrights are working like that, producing plays. Uh, the co- collaboration can come about for various reasons, also artistic, just re- pure, not to solve a problem or to enlighten a theme, but just because it feels artistically right to do it. And it can include playwrights, actors, dramaturgs, directors, scenographers, sound designers, costume designers, researchers, and so on. Uh, also, scientists uh, also come along in these uh, writing collectives or these collaborations. Interesting, um, for instance, interesting to follow uh, Christian Lolleke, if some of you know him, just to give an example, who also often chooses different writing partners for each project to get, bring something into it. One should think that this sort of collective way of collaborating, this, of writing, uh, would sort of push the playwright aside. And for a long time, I think, playwrights were worried about this, that there's all these collective initiatives and the, and the rise of, of the device theatre and so on would push the, push the playwright out of the picture. But something else has occurred at the same time. Because together with this trend comes a merging of traditional and new poetics. And what I mean by that is just that uh, one no longer um, sticks to one way of writing than one writes. And this emerging of traditional and new poetics are combined with what we call a new re theatralization of the play. And uh, this produces uh, the most prevalent place of forms of play today, the language-based play and the hybrids. Uh, and we are using a lot of language-based techniques here, but uh, also we've been talking about the hybrid. So what is this hybrid play? Is it just another way of calling it a postmodern play or a post-dramatic play? And in a way, they use many of the same techniques. But uh, at the forefront of the hybrid play is what we call hybridization. And hybridization is the mixing or clashing of different genres in the same play. It's a mixing and clashing of cultural or historical periods, styles and techniques. For example... The farcical mixing with the serious, the high-toned with the vulgar. I don't think we did that, did we? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> the sophisticated literary with traditional folk tales, Eastern forms with Western forms, etc. And all this in the same uh, kind of composition. And the one, the mitigating agent, as they call it, the one that ties this together is language and theatricality. Believing in this mitigation in language being able to provide a structural linkage between the parts, so then what links the parts is the language itself, is essential when we do collective writing endeavours. When assembling the material into clusters and pairs, creating connections, bringing about bigger texts, even full-length plays, one has to see the play as a dirty form, not as a unity of space and time, which we usually do, 
but as a construction of different text types. And this is what makes, makes hybridization possible. So in the play, as a whole, we have a dirty form consisting of, of course, monologues, dialogues, stage directions, these we know, right? We have like an our quotes, we can have a song, we can have bits of a newsflash, uh, we can have in modern and post-dramatic form we can have bits of text landscapes, etc., etc. That we can have sketches and jokes and improvisation, personal tools, etc., and such. As such, the play is actually already a kind of collage. Uh, it consists of scenes which are building blocks that we put together. We can separate the building blocks into different parts, sections of dialogue or sections of monologue, etc. And we're combining this, this is how you make a play. And as such, in our time, we have the privilege that we can mix and match poetic passages with commentary, psychologically based events and situations with rants, moments of breaking into song, improvisations, ready-mates, jokes, etc. The, the potential is endless. So the play then constitutes an interactive system in which, in which each element is in dialogue with the next. Here language acts as a common geography, if you can put it like that, or a landscape. And this landscape ties the building blocks together. And then Costonio said, Language playwriting had been particularly effective in creating shifting scenes usually in the form of landscape altered and formulated by language. The seemingly desultory relationship between scenes is mitigated because the language provides the structural linkage. And in a way, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's as ancient as, as, as theatre itself. I mean, we have it in uh, the Norwegian genre de vie, for instance, or a cabaret, where you can just by saying, um, I'm on the moon, be on the moon. Or by changing sex or name with the one we're talking to, change the whole relationship of that uh, sequence. Uh, so it's not something uh, complicated. It's actually very rudimentary and tied to theatre as, as an art form. When this uh, goes on, um, processes uh, of polar vocality arises, of course, and we can make our own unique theatrical worlds. A world that contains contradictions, different voices and discourses, and thus can function as places for clashes of perspectives and points of views, which might be important for us in this time of polarisation. And when language alters space and time, established moorings are loosened and conventions are interrupted and replaced. So this means that it gives a potential for completely new types of dramaturgies. And maybe the most important thing for me is that in this kind of way of, of, of writing, there will be no dominant narrator, no one dominate world, dominating worldview, not one singular meaning behind the play. It will be a place where there are multitudes of meanings and expressions potentially present at the same time. So, to sum it up. This workshop has been a laboratory. In it, we have done what we wanted to do. We are the material. Through language, we can become what we want. We can change the rules and we can change the perspective. We can tear the world wide open, as long as the universe holds, as long as the game is sound. In this, um, in this work, and I will come, and I will come to the, the theme of, uh, of this series of uh, talks that we're having, uh, of course, mistakes is a vital part of the game. Where there are flaws in our work process, or when flaws occur, it becomes an address. Since we are in a social setting, if somebody does something, does something that is uh, either 
directly wrong, misquotes another, another of the writers or so on, it becomes, immediately becomes an address. We have to answer to it. When you do a flow on your own, you have to answer it to yourself, but you can also ignore it. But since we are in a communal room, we cannot ignore it. <laughs> it often produces humour, of course. But also, also when it produces misunderstandings, it can produce other types of texts than the other would, otherwise would uh, have. So, a flaw then becomes an address, a way of talking, uh, addressing someone. And this lifts, often lifts new thoughts and ideas or responses from the others, making them think or produce or make other texts that they otherwise would do. But is this a radical thing? I mean, we're talking about radical failure. And I've often wondered about the term radical. What does it actually entail? And to try and understand it, I try to think about it in contrast to the word conservative or reactionary. And I guess when one looks at that conservative, um, conservative response or a conservative address or a reactionary would be a reaction to something or to something trying to preserve something that is already there. While something radical would have to produce something new. This is in a way how I understood it. And when I Google radical to find out what kind of new this is, uh, besides the sort of normal suspects that uh, pops up, uh, one, of the, one of the formulations that comes up is far-reaching and thorough change of something. So it has to be far-reaching and thorough. And the other one is something that's different from the root, like from the bottom up. Um, and also change from accepted or traditional forms. So something that makes us stray away from what's accepted or already uh, uh, there as a form. And also in the program on Meta, there's another level to it in the, in the quote that I put in there. It's a like, it says like, there is a kind of um, skin between the layers of society and production of text and meaning. And that this skin in some ways porous. So it sort of introduces a kind of idea of a leakage. Um, and that it is the leakage, the, the, the potential porosity or, or like a membrane-like membrane -like, um, um, interface, maybe is a good word, <laughs> between us and the different layers of society and um, uh, between society and, for instance, the universe or uh, the city of urbanity um, versus the rural and so on, this kind of these kind of circles that we, that we operate in, there is a porosity, and when we have failures, <laughs> this can make us break through these borders and leak into each other's landscapes and over those limitations that these so-called circles have. What we do is that we're not like skin to skin, as suggested in this quote, beautifully metaphor in this quote. We are more text to text, uh, so in a way what one can say is that when a failure occurs then failure touches failure <laughs> and this is a part actually a big part of our production system and when these uh, failures then work generic as I would say they create something something is born out of it at these early stages when we are creating our universes and this universe starts colliding I think someone would call it it's so wonderful to be on this planet, I think you said. Uh, or it's so interesting that there are so many planets in the room. So when these universes and, or planets start colliding and these collisions are built on failures, <laughs> misunderstandings, or mistakes, we start, it could be a misspelling even, uh, we can not only be led into a new direction, but if this produces a text that become a building block, block in one of our dramaturgies, like one of the main sequences in, in the structures we're building, they can actually change our project from the root up. So there is the potential for radical failure actually turning, tilting our whole project in a very uh, productive and uh, generous, uh, I would say, um, yeah, productive and uh, useful maybe way. What also happens when we make mistakes is that we have to think. We have to leave the doxa. 
So when we make mistakes, we have to consider, is this a mistake, or is it actually something we can do something with? Is it useful? And now I come to my last part of my little lecture. Uh, if, as Christopher states, text is based on meetings, and we write together, texts colliding with texts, then text is also a way of reflecting. This collective text writing is a way of reflecting. We are not only writing together, we are actually thinking together. So in a way, we're like connecting our thoughts into one gigantic um, sensory and thinking system. Exchanges like the one we've had this week, I think, shapes the way we are thinking. It shapes our actions and lays out the ground for our personal language. It shapes our private and our public being. And when we do collective writing, this blows it wide open. Writing with others is thinking with others. Through writing in, on and around other texts than your own, you have to enter the language of the other. Through this, you enter this, their unique field of experience, and through that you can evolve a potential to expand your own, both the space within your text, but also the space within yourself. You can see, as the French philosopher Paul Ricoeur states, yourself as the other. Collective writing can, if the conditions are right, create its own space of experience through its common, common made-up realities, its micro-worlds and potential utopias. And then, so to say, this shared space becomes an event. It becomes something that happens with us. So the workshop is a place for a trial, a space for exercise, an exercise in experience of the fact that my input are not more essential than the input of the other. That's what wrong, what's wrong or has gone bad can end up being just what we need. For my world is as feasible as the other person's world. There is a constant flux. There are things at stake here because that which sets me apart, that which makes me stand out, exposes what does not. It exposes what is being shared, what we have in common. In it, I am all alone and together. What's bad can become good. What I think and what you think can coexist. This can be a moving experience. It has moved me. And I think as such, it can have a political potential. And I hope in that talk with Mossacre that we will enter that field of the political potential in this collective way of writing. So, before we start the reading with the others, I'm just going to I'm just going to read a text that I have written myself. <laughs> before the world of hybrids, when all was still arbitrary, the gods killed the giant and turned his flesh into soil, his blood into rivers. They splattered his brain across the sky and littered it with stars. In the world of hybrids, we are mostly self-thought. Here we disembody ourselves. Here we turn to imaginary worlds in myths and myths long gone, to the place at the drawing board, creating patterns and connections where none seemingly existed. Thank you. Nu ska vi få höra en samtale mellan Tale och den tyske kuratorn, teoretikern, dramaturgen och väldigt mycket mer, Florian Malsacher. Conversation between uh, Talones and Florian Masakir. This is a part of the collective uh, writing workshop that Tala has had with um, uh, 11 participants mm-hmm. for four days. Uh, a collaboration between Konuso, 
uh, Norwegian Acting Center and the Theater Festival. So we invited Florian to talk to Tale. Florian is at Meteor to launch a book, Work in Life of Nature Theater of Oklahoma. He did that yesterday. And he also had a lecture, Theater as Assembly, earlier today. So if you missed it, oh, you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have about half an hour. Uh, so please, Florian, Tale. Yeah, we. we yeah. <laughs> I must say that I'm not. Uh, I'm not especially an expert on on collective writing. Mm -hmm. Even so, of course, I mean, uh, there are encounters and there are artists. And actually, then I thought about it. Then I thought, actually, I know more examples, uh, depending on how you define it, of it, mm -hmm. uh, uh, than than I thought. Uh, but um, actually, to get started, we, we agreed on a very basic question <laughs> as a start, <laughs> collectively written. Uh, the question that. Um, did you explain the title of one to one hundred, mm -hmm. uh, and and by this we mm -hmm. get into so in a way, yeah, like <laughs> Florian said, it's this is this first question, this opening question is actually a real collaboration because it started with me having a phone conversation crossing the main square in Bergen with the Meteor Festival, uh, uh, saying maybe we should have an opening question, and then that was proposed to Florian, <laughs> and now it's coming back to me. Yes. So <laughs> it's a real feedback loop in a way. And if I would be a good actor, I would just have said the text without re revealing where it comes from. But mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but this is much more in 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 the in the you know in the spirit of collective writing, I think, to expose our collectivity at the beginning here. Yeah. So the one to a hundred, that's the question. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm going to inform you in a way. This is my answer. Uh, <laughs> so I'm doing a PhD in, in playwriting, and playwriting is usually seen as a, you know, a solitary uh, thing. Uh, we have device theatre, and we have group theatre, and we have like the, the Nature Theatre of Oklahoma, who work in different sets of collaborative um, and group constellations. And then you have the playwright, and the playwright works alone. And I'm a playwright. I come from literature. I wrote uh, poetry and plays in the 90s. And then I was kidnapped by the theatre in the year 2000. And since then, I would try to figure out what it is. And one of the questions I've asked is, do I have to do this alone? Uh, I've also asked the question, how can, uh, how can the playwright become a part of the theatre body, you know, the collective of, of the theatre? And... Um, and uh, a collective playwriting has been a part of it. And that's also one of the reasons why the title is From One to a Hundred, because it is a gradual, my research is a gradual expansion from me to society, or from me to the theatre body, or from me to the collective writing. Um, as I started, as I the first year into my research, I also added a, a subtitle, which is like, and back again because I realized that people thought that I was actually going to go from one to a hundred and never return. <laughs> <laughs> but you can never get rid of yourself. I mean, I'm always there. So uh, it's a, it's not, again, it's like a, a revisiting, going out and coming back and going out and coming back into your own work. Yeah. That would be maybe, anyway, my, my question about... Yeah, and one uh, about collective writing because I, I find it quite interesting I'm in the field of theatre that I'm mainly working, or I guess many of us mainly working. Text has an ambivalent position, mm -hmm. and I, I studied in in Gießen and in university in in Germany, where actually um, by, the liberation from drama happened by abolishing the writer and the actors. It, mm -hmm. it was a, like maybe a little bit an overreaction, but of course <laughs> it was a reaction to something, uh, and uh, and text was considered often minor, or it was very casual text. I mean, people would speak on stage, but it would not have this, this um, maybe not literary, literature quality or even a specific status. And now, in later generation, of course, all the text comes back and people identify themselves as writers. And when I work with, with or talk to, to writers, I find it quite interesting. On one hand, yeah, the position in the process. So how can you be part of a process and mm -hmm. not deliver the text and then come to the premiere? Mm -hmm. But also not just be the annoying author that says, no, no, this, I didn't mean, you have to do it differently, but yeah. really be part of a collective. Yeah. So maybe less collective writing, but writing in the collective mm -hmm. uh, is, is one mm -hmm. thing. Uh, so, so what is the role of, of authors in there? And this maybe, and, the, the, and then in terms of collective writing, of course, the question, yeah, the, one to hundred and, and and back maybe hints at it, like how collective is it actually? Mm -hmm. So do you, so I would... And I would like to hear in a moment f from you how you approach it. But like, just to say, like, they, let maybe 
Yeah, to ext an extreme would be a text where, which is really collectively mm -hmm. written, but still the question is who, who sets the rule, who assembles mm -hmm. it. Like, like um, the choreographers Dolphert and Plischke did mm -hmm. a lot with uh, collective writing where, where they basically, it was a bit like a cadaver ex key where, mm -hmm. you, where you write and you pass on the text and then, then it's assembled mm -hmm. and then it would be reassembled mm -hmm. and written over so that actually, yes, authorship would be difficult mm -hmm. to receive. You could still say they set the rules mm -hmm. and maybe it was even a performance by them mm -hmm. in the end but I would say that's quite far in the way of really uh, creating a text that nobody wrote like this in the mm -hmm. end and the other opposite extreme in collective writing very successfully would be maybe more like the well the famous writer rooms in, 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 in uh, American television series mm -hmm. which, which uh, some years ago I found really extremely interesting how that works mm -hmm. but of course in a product oriented Way, but but uh, the best television series we know of, of course, are written by a lot of people, uh, and it's a collective work mm -hmm. with usually hierarchies and mm -hmm. so on. There's head writers and sub writers, but mm -hmm. it's like even characters completely. Or if you look at this, complete episodes are written by somebody else, or, mm -hmm. or one is the head writer for it. So it's a it's quite in let's say in the more economic oriented I don't want to say neoliberal but in the uh, economically oriented world yeah but it's a, it's also a very creative I mean it, yeah, it's yeah. it's a very effective very creative process mm -hmm. which is of course has clearly a goal so mm -hmm. you don't want a text like from Dolph and Plischke which nobody understands in the end anymore you want a, a plot driven mm -hmm. things where the character also are coherent and not from one episode to the next, the good guy turned into the bad, and you don't know why. Mm -hmm. So, but this would be maybe, if I think of it, two, two, not extreme, yeah. but two I opposite poles in yeah, collective yeah, writing. Yeah, so, how do you, how do you position yourself in this? I mean, this is this is. Uh, I mean, now you're like pointing at. Uh, I'm, I'm writing like my reflection now, of course, in my PhD, and you're pointing at all these things that I write about. So, if I could go on for like. 90 pages, <laughs> that, would be, that would be like you a covering answer. read the book. But it's really interesting. I mean, you start with a very important point. I mean, what happened in the, uh, in what, what, what turned in the post-dramatic theatre, in a way? Uh, the exclusion of the, of the writer and the actors. Yeah. So I, I've, I've, always, I've called it sometimes when I... Uh, actually, I don't try to be funny. I, I try to be quite provoking. I say, it has been the time of the interpreters. Uh, so the directors and the curators are sort of taken central stage. Uh, and this is true for Norwegian theatre as well as German. I mean, Norwegian theatre and, and the Dutch and the Belgium and the German theatre has followed each other uh, in a very sort of... Um, it's like Donald Duck's The Three Sons, you know, on the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can say that the Dutch and the, and the Belgian and, and, and the German theatre has been at the front, and then Norwegian theatre has followed first through the, first through the curating theatres or the programming theatres like Black Box and Teatrus Omgarden and, and um, Tug here in, uh, no, and the Bit here in, in Bergen. And then the, the, those um, national theatres and institutions have followed uh, suit uh, with putting the, the programmers and, the, and directors at the centre stage, pushing to the curves, of course, the writers and the, and the, uh, and the um, actors. So I follow that. I think that's, that's true. Uh, but uh, there's two things to say about that. One thing is, uh, it doesn't mean that they stopped writing, you see. And it didn't mean that the actors stopped being creative actors. So we have still been working, like, in the side wings. And uh, at the moment, we're taking, uh, we're take, not taking a revenge, but the, the wonderful work that's been done is, again, being noticed, I think. So, and I will return to that. Uh, the other side of it, which I think also have a really vital point, is that those two sides, which is like the communal writing rooms of the United States and the device of the group theatre. Um, and none of those, of course, uh, are interested in the plays, because um, playwriting then becomes something that, a bit peripheral uh, in, uh, in these uh, collective endeavours. Uh, the interesting thing, though, uh, which is, might be just be um, a fun fact, but it could, could also be uh, an interesting point, is that some of the most central writers in the writing rooms of American television series came from theatre. Like Eric Obermeyer, for instance, he was a really, really celebrating and very interesting playwright, uh, writing hybrid plays and also inside the post-traumatic strategies. And he was the one who wrote Wire. <laughs> and a lot of the strategies uh, that developed in the, uh, after modernism, in a way, which are more like the combination of, of situation, psychology, avant-garde uh, techniques and so on, ended up in the television series. So, of course, these writer rooms are, are I would call them uh, plot-driven and character-driven, but they have a lot of theatrics and a lot of theatrical strategies. And that's I think, is why they are so popular and so interesting at the moment. 
uh, and a lot of that comes from theatre. And then on the, on the other side, and I think that's very true for documentary theatre, especially in Norway, that uh, these the new forms of playwriting has been very influenced by documentary theatre and also by these forms that you, I hope that you um, touched on today, which is the assembly form, uh, and also which includes, of course, the audience in the, in the way of thinking. But what happens now is that these playwrights and actors, they start meeting up, so that's what we've been doing. I mean, in this group now we've been playwrights, scenographers, Marie and Dordé, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, playwrights together, um, being interested in text also as, uh, also as artistic expression at the core of the theatre. Um, and I think one of the reasons why we're allowed to do that, why in a way we become interesting again, why we are, again are sexy, is because this has happened uh, in, in, the, in, the art of, uh, in the world of visual arts. Visual arts and choreography has turned to text. I mean, you all seen Meta Edwardson's work, of course, and all other choreographers. I mean, post-dance, for instance, is very text-influenced. And also a lot of visual art is text-influenced. And I think that, again, makes, uh, makes the theatre world open up and say, oh, maybe text can be something else. Maybe text doesn't have to have this way. Maybe it doesn't need to be, what, be the way it was before 1963. Maybe it could be something completely different. And maybe that completely different is something that can bring the creative actor playwright and the scenographer right into the middle of the theatre again. It's a long answer, sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure I would completely, I mean, completely agree with the genesis, but mm. it's of course open to interpretation. First of all, I mean, it depends on the kind of, I mean, at least, yeah, in the, well, the three nephews of Donald Duck in mm -hmm. German, they are Tick, Trick and Truck. Uh, the, <laughs> Can you repeat um, that? Because that's beautiful. Tick, Trick and Truck. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so in this tradition, of course, there would be quite a separation between the repertory mm -hmm. and, and um, theatre, and uh, ensemble theatre, and uh, let's say device theatre, mm -hmm. independent theatre scene, post-dramatic theatre scene, mm -hmm. anyway. So, so I think that's it's also a bit to see, because who takes the centre of the stage and with the, well, with, with the curator, there, I, this would be a different topic. I would, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure I would agree on it. But of course, it's interesting to say one thing that, and, and I say this because I think in different traditions it turned out differently. So in mm -hmm. Germany, one the interesting thing is, of course, to say see one thing that post-dramatic theatre, as at least Hans Lehmann and so on, invented the word was not a non-text theatre. It was actually one of the crown witnesses yeah, yeah. would have been Heiner Müller, so yeah, a writer. Yeah. I agree. So so. Uh, so, the, but of course, it's, it was um, a postulation against a certain kind of text, mm -hmm. a certain um, uh, idea that the text comes first, mm -hmm. basically, mm -hmm. and then in the seventies or the director's theater can interpret it mm -hmm. or do something with it. Mm -hmm. But still, it's the text, like the, as, a, as, a, as the main reference mm -hmm. point. So it always starts from the text mm -hmm. in a way. So it's uh, also very interesting with his latest book, right, Tragedy in Theater, which is all about text, actually. I mean, it states yeah. in the beginning that theater is not text, and then the whole book is about just analyzing text, which is yeah. So, so, but so, um, so I think there was a certain reaction against a certain way of acting, a certain mm -hmm. way of directing, a certain way of text, mm -hmm. which was um, against, yeah, well, the underdog against the, mm -hmm. the he hegemony of the theatre. So basically you, you kind of like uh, fought against this. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say there, so I'm not so sure that it really only comes back now via, I mean, I, I, I know that a lot of things come, come via visual art, but in this case I'm not, not so sure because you can say what is the visual art then interested in. For example, people like Tim Etchells who was mm -hmm. writing all along, so mm -hmm. because the British tradition was a different mm -hmm. struggle. So for mm -hmm. entertainment, well, it's not true. The first ten years, they didn't speak on stage. But, they didn't. But but then but then text. <laughs> where, uh, of course, it's it's literature theater, or yeah, you can yeah. say literature theater of Oklahoma. The latest works are really written text. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so so uh, so there. So so this is a yeah. I think it's a mixed struggle. But the interesting thing I think is like because with the image of coming back. Also, it it was. I mean, I think the. But again, about like collective writing or writing in a collective like what what makes a collective and mm -hmm. of course the first attempts in many of these groups were actually rules uh, uh, roles can be exchanged mm -hmm. so so the there would be not actors because the directors or whoever would act on, or be on stage themselves mm -hmm. and the text would be produced and everything would be produced in a, in a collective way which of course then yeah, maybe abilities are different. Mm -hmm. So, what what does that then produce? And then people kind of singled out again, and somebody was more taking care of the text, mm -hmm. and the other one more of the of the of the set. But the, but the general idea was to 
I would still say and still defend this idea of like saying, okay, there's no naturally given uh, yeah. hierarchy yeah. of the text, the director, yeah, yeah. whatever. It can yeah, yeah. it can start with the text, but it could also start with the body or what, mm. what whatever mm. else. Mm. And um, and 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 then so when you when you say now the whatever the, the writers return or the actors return, mm. I would say um, hopefully they don't return the same way. They return as writers and collaborators like like with them um, less less sharp uh, in the in the drawing less less sharp uh, outlines maybe so so they 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 might the, yeah they might come in as writers but they would be something else and mm. the, the writing would not be autonomous mm. and the directing would not be autonomous mm. in the way it was uh, and uh, yeah, the, and yeah so there would stay something of the collectiveness uh, of the of this idea, mm. I wish I could. I wish I could uh, reassure you that they will stay blurred and not assertive and not. Well, the non-blurred <laughs> uh, were there all the time. I mean, we, <laughs> but what we, I'm we saying, just got a Nobel Prize for Peter Hanke, but so so there were always people that were not blurred in their, saying, in their in their outlines. I don't really think that's so interesting, you see, because I don't think those di dichotomies are there anymore. Mm. I think what we do is that we work differently when it comes to different projects mm. or material or what we want to say. For instance, if you want, sometimes I might go home and write a play, mm. and it'd be a very beautiful literary play that needs to be you know staged and so on. And sometimes I will, there will be no words mm. at all. So I. I don't think that uh, we are yeah. we live in a situation where we only do one thing as actors don't just perform somebody else's text they can also produce uh, produce text or movement or or be a part of an intellectual discussions i mean this is what's very really interesting with the performative field and that's maybe why i would prefer actually to say okay writing takes a different place or yeah. uh, directing yeah, yeah, takes yeah. a different place yeah, or yeah, acting yeah. takes a bit rather was, than saying the, the actor the writer mm -hmm. the thing and exactly. saying yes writing li uh, language has a certain mm -hmm. role and mm -hmm. acting has a certain mm -hmm. role in it and mm -hmm. and it's and the uh, skills it's, have it's a certain role in it yeah, yeah the skills yeah. the skills and the aesthetics have a certain role in it less than it I mean, often it manifests in certain people, mm. but, but this is maybe not the most important part of it. I agree, and that was a really important uh, excavation or a revolt or, let's put it, in emancipatory uh, strategies, right, uh, to, uh, to rid us from these hierarchies. Uh, that the text belongs to this one or, or, the, or, the, or the, real, the real essential part of theatre work was this. But actually the real essential part of theatre work is the meeting between the audience and what goes on on stage. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to be less sort of provocative and say, at least in Norwegian, in the Norwegian setting, the writers did not invent that. They did not make that discovery. We had that to be, we had to have that forced upon us uh, by by these um, uh, rebels of the 60s, 70s, and 80s and 90s. And and then there had to be um, programming scenes. And the, that's why I mean with Ole Dolof and or. What do you call them? Trech. Tick, 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 and track. tick, tick, track. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, now the programming skins are also pulling the, the, the national and the, and the more institutional nice uh, stage with them, you know? And I think this has been extremely to, to, uh, to, um, uh, to uh, profession not only professionalize, but to, to uh, uh, invigorate and, and turn theatre into theatre again. I mean, this was incredibly important. And I don't think the writer would have done that. Um, so... If this is our goal, I mean, if we have this common goal <laughs> to emancipate theatre from these hierarchies, yeah, the question is how to go about it. And uh, for instance, although I mean, you probably lead processes now, you've just been an editor of a book, right? Then you have to lead it in some way. And I've just been like the one heading this workshop. The goal is to find a way to do that, to enable the people that you work with to do uh, their own work inside it that you don't lead, isn't it? I mean, in, and in that respect, that's what I'm looking for as well, to find a place in a theatre body where I'm just a part of the theatre body. I'm not the brain or the heart, yeah? I'm a part of the bloodstream or something, yeah? If that makes any sense. And one of the exercises I've done, actually, uh, is that I've, uh, we've made this collective, a theatre collective, that we worked with for, for now five years, and we're going to make a theology. Now I made two performances, and it's been bloody painful, so I don't know if I want to make another one, where we are a dancer, a drummer... Uh, um, director, me as a playwright and uh, installation artist or scenographer in this case and we all have to do each other's work so I have to build scenography <laughs> I even have to dance <laughs> I have to be on stage the director have to write, dancer have to write we all discuss and we try to find out what is it that goes on so it's, it's, still, it's still we're still trying yeah. No, I guess it's the same questions I mean in a way it relates to certain questions of um, 
yeah, let's say in activism or politi in the political mm -hmm. sphere. So mm -hmm. what is an assembly? Do you mm -hmm. want to do you believe in um, in consensus? Mm -hmm. I personally not convinced on the other hand uh, you might also not believe in the hierarchies that they exist so how do you how do you make decision i mean yeah. you can make a decision process by consensus yeah. which also has certain rules and certain hierarchies it's also then important to look how it actually works in, in like in, 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 in assemblies or in other uh, contexts um Or you delegate, or you, mm -hmm. you or you shift hierarchies, which is maybe mm -hmm. the uh, and I, I kind of like the like the idea, like even if it's sometimes symbolic to shift roles and yeah. to shift hierarchies to kind of like stay fluid is one mm -hmm. one yeah. way of I guess uh, of I guess doing it. Mm. Do you ever do you ever act? Uh, no. Do you ever like <laughs> work fluidly across the hierarchies? Do you ever leave your position? Because I haven't before, and I I think it's awful. Yeah, but yeah, it's also a big. But I'm I'm seldom because I'm not an artist, so I'm I'm seldom involved in this way in the mm -hmm. process. So 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 I would say, yeah. So so that that, that would look look differently, and mm -hmm. I guess in in a way. But I'm not not in there. And then with institutions or in, in other fields, that would be something you could also think about this, like how in institutionship yeah. roles and so yeah. on that. Uh, Uh, which would mean more the relation to that, yeah. But yeah. Do you think you I could? Don't. I mean, have you? Have you tried? And what would it bring about? I think it's not really... I mean, the, pro the problem is a bit like that lately then being involved in an institution that have a certain size, so you would have to start an institution that enables it, because yes. if you have a highly specialized, yes. I mean, it doesn't help when I start to do the accounting, I mean, uh, that <laughs> would be a disaster, so, yes, it would be very creative, there would yeah. be the most creative, no, but uh, so, so you have quite specialized uh, like jobs in this, so yes, within genres, like within, yes, I can talk about visual art or dance or whatever, but mm. like in terms of really different job de mm. description with the institutions I'm in would be, would be quite a challenge, and it would be more like a Uh, while, while I know, like for example, if you build it from the beginning, like a group like Shishi Pop, yeah. the German yeah. uh, collective that now exists for like 20 years, they try. In the beginning, they did, mm. would do all the things, but mm. it was a small group. So someone would do accounting, mm. and they mm. application, they would shift these things in the production. And now, of course, they also got more mm. professional mm. and so on. So, so actually, no, they cannot just do one the account, mm. but they still try to at least. Um, Uh, still shift a little bit mm -hmm. in it, mm -hmm. but uh, but then they created a structure for themselves which would allow it, mm -hmm. and even there it became more and more mm -hmm. impossible because all the shows two or more, then the performers are there, they cannot do the accounting additionally, and the accountants don't want to go on stage or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. like this comes then with with time, but yeah. at least it was in the beginning it was, it was they the were idea. quite con consequent in, mm -hmm. in shifting mm -hmm. shifting roles, mm -hmm. and they still would have it just to say like that in terms of not in, in writing but in terms of performance they would have performance where they could shift. Roles so where not everybody yeah. would travel for example mm -hmm. but uh, also the, the 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 parts of performance could be exchanged mm -hmm. so so they try also there to say okay it's not about me it's somebody else could play my part in this mm -hmm. performance as well so this is what we but this is the next stage which is a practical one of course because everybody is so busy but now I'm, I might have to go to Shanghai and be Lawrence which will be very difficult for me and he might stay at home and write and be me um, but I agree it's, it's very it's, uh, I mean it's, at least it's very thought productive I mean uh, what we're doing in, the, in the, and then this is what I, this is really what I want to talk to you about we don't have the time but I'd like at least to at the end of this talk to, to get to it because what we're trying to do in this collective is trying to um, in some way leave criticism I mean, in Norway, I don't know what it's like. In, I know a bit about it, but I not, don't know totally what it's like in Germany. But in, in Norway, a political theatre or, or theatre that is supposed to be like considering society in some way has been strongly critical. I mean, it's been in a, in a kind of Brechtian tradition or the Gibbs theatre or, or in, a, in a meta, meta, on a meta level. In a way, there's been this idea that if you, uh, if you demask society, If you take a problem and you put it to the forefront, you can like pull the whale away and people will revolt. This kind of idea. And um, in the uh, lately, I think I've come to this feeling that we we know most of the problems. <laughs> so if we just continue criticizing. We might not actually m make people engage at all. We might just make them feel even more helpless. Or, or yeah. Or we can all say, you know, we all in this room agreed that this is a terrible situation. So what other potential qualities is there? Um, and then we've started to look at, is there potential to use fiction as a way of producing 
utopias or I mean more in a, like a chimpanzee kind of perspective that political thought is the thought of the impossible uh, to give the voice to the one who doesn't have a voice or to to actually be the one that in early 1800s said listen could the, could the female vote is that a good idea will society survive if females are a part of democracy I mean this kind of and what kind of uh, what kind of ideas could we have about the future today um, and and we've really found this very hard, and I know that you, you've written and thought about it. Well, I think it's, it is difficult, but I would not... I mean, my take on, on... And I was talking this afternoon a bit about this. Like My, my take on Brecht there would also be that, yes, on one hand, uh, there's this criticality, mm -hmm. but then there's something else, because he already said, like, the mere representation of the evil doesn't mm -hmm. change anything. It just mm -hmm. reproduces Yes, he did it. say so, that, so, didn't so, he? Mm -hmm. so, and he tried to find a way out with the learning place and, uh, yeah. and so on. So I think what is... Um, well, theatre assemblies might be one one way, but it's of course a specific form of theatre. But I think generally, what, what I was talking today about, I think the theatre has an, the, offers the ability or the possibility to to be inside something and outside at the mm -hmm. same time. Yeah. So that would be Brechtian, but it would so 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 the outside would be maybe the criticality. Mm -hmm. I don't personally, I'm will have difficulties giving up that <laughs> so maybe next <laughs> generations yeah. but uh, but I also don't know if it, it makes sense to give it up so so mm -hmm. so you can be inside it because the immersion and the purely go, uh, immersing in it is also not, not necessarily a very political helpful yes. uh, part so so yeah. how can it be both how yeah. can it be partaking and developing something mm -hmm. for, together mm -hmm. and at the same time having a distance maybe not to something but to the process you, we, how we are doing it at the moment mm -hmm. and this this strange device of theater that that it can do that i think in good mm -hmm. moments is, mm -hmm. is for me something that in terms of po its political potential is really uh, uh, is really there, important yeah, yeah. And, and 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 by this then i think like um to link to the question of utopia i uh, the concept of uh, a pre-enactment, which lately mm -hmm. became quite uh, a bit more discussed, and there's a book out now, which just is on now, so I didn't read it, but I know other things of uh, of his by Oliver Marchardt, uh, pol uh, politologist uh, actually, but he collaborated a lot with with artists also, mm -hmm. with, and it's quite interesting in theatre. And he um, so he he explains this idea of uh, the pre-enactment as something that. In a way, we don't know what the future will bring, but mm -hmm. we need to open space. So, uh, two things: we need, on one hand, to prepare for it. Mm -hmm. So, so when it comes, so mm -hmm. so what skills do mm -hmm. we have? How do we can I we agree. deal with it? And at the same time, we need to open up possibilities to think about the future. Like, yeah. like um, uh, I would, I don't know, Zizek or that maybe would call a radical imagination. So, yes, so yeah, how, yeah. how radical can be the imagination mm -hmm. in a political co context? And uh, and the idea of a pre-enactment would maybe then be to. Uh, to want to be part of the future with your artistic practice, and of course you don't know if what you're doing right now will be useful in ten years or whenever, or in five years or next month, for that matter. Uh, but but you're st we're still doing it and, mm -hmm. and 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 creating a lot of opportunities in a way. So that then maybe some of these aspects will actually be later shown. So you cannot mm -hmm. really do a pre-enactment purposely mm -hmm. in a way yeah, because yeah. you don't know what what yeah, yeah. will be enacted later. Yeah. But you can do things that have the potential. Of being pre-enactments, yeah. and I, I quite like. I mean, it's a bit even with the examples you give. It's a bit difficult to to yeah. to, ma to imagine, but I like the idea that this is maybe the the uh, the pos uh, possibility for theatre to to open this space. So, in a way, what you're saying is that I mean, of course, the the term post has been very uh, heavily used, as we know. I mean, we have post theatre, post playwriting, post dance, post photography. Post-history, I think, it what we have now. <laughs> yeah. So now we're actually we're introducing the term pre, pre-enactment. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any other uses of the word pre? You know, or is it like the first one? I'm really chuffed by that. I like the idea of that. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. It's. Um, I mean, there are different. It occurs in different contexts. This pre-pre-enactment, yeah. pre pre-figuration. I think yeah, sometimes yeah, called right. as yeah, so, yeah. but it it is. I mean, it probably relates to speculative uh, mm -hmm. thinking and the spec, but but it's maybe more concrete. I'm a bit, I don't know. I'm, I'm not such a fan of the, all the speculative uh, approaches, uh, 
but 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 I think it's like because it wants to be concrete. So so, so it's not about avoiding concreteness, mm -hmm. but maybe the impossibility of mm -hmm. concreteness. So, mm -hmm. so so that's maybe what I what what I like. Yeah. Like so about not this the speculative idea. side of it, not producing fiction as such, just yeah. to speculate, but the, the, the facing the as a place that's impossible but still productive. Yeah, you could say maybe a lot of the speculative theories, I mean, I'm generalizing and I'm not, not an expert on it, but I have the feeling like, yes, we produce a lot of speculation and then there will things will pop up that are useful in it because yeah. maybe of the sheer amount or whatever. And I think the, for me the idea of pre-enactment and so would be like wanting to be more concrete and, mm -hmm. and just being not, it's not being possible. So that's yeah. a different way. Yeah. It might be look, look the same even, but... Yeah. but uh, it has a different the, the, the uh, framing or the attitude yeah. that uh, drives it is different and maybe it's a little bit more pragmatic it's maybe less spe spectacular in a way because it's mm. kind of like it's it's um, maybe more like no when we talk about these things there's a certain we talk about a certain use of art mm. and working which mm -hmm. is of course always a bit of conflict yeah, but yeah, I kind difficult. of like I, I'm not saying that this process is an art has to be completely useful but I, I'm also skeptical about uh, approaches that say oh, we, don't, we don't care about this mm. aspect so, yes. so I think because because ethics so and aesthetics so we are forced in a way into that tension yeah. in the middle and the collective writing is an interesting example that aesthetics and ethics are not separated no they're completely so because the they're, same they're, they're, they yeah. merge in this case and yeah. that's the interesting thing yeah. so, I, so, I, I, yeah, so I don't like the separation of these two it's a beautiful place to end isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So Wittgenstein was right. Aesthetics and ethics are the same. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. I enjoyed that tremendously. Me too. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>